Welcome to the weekly sermon at Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Melissa Hale. I'm so excited this morning because we're going to talk about an amazing story in Scripture. Was that all I was supposed to do? I did the three things. Thank you, Brenna. Because I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to get into the story. Who's ready for the word this morning? Well, Debbie already came us and led us in the word. We've already had some word. We've been worshiping, but we're going we're gonna to go Old Testament, OT. We're going to get OT up in here today. Um, so here's a little bit of the background of today's message. Uh, we're going to get in a time machine. We're going to go back over 3,000 years ago, which is kind of hard to imagine. We're going to go 3,000 years into the past. Imagine yourself as part of the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes. You have come out of exile. You've come out of Egypt, right, out of slavery. You have come to the promised land. You have the Ten Commandments. You have been given a promise and a covenant. You go into the land of the Canaanites and all the ites. And guess what? They're not happy to see you. They have not heard the news that God gave you this land. How unfortunate. We have these tablets. Would you like to read them? No, we don't care about those. So God promises them this land. And of course, we talked about Rahab recently. And where did Rahab live? And what happened to Jericho? You got to sing it. And the walls came tumbling down. You know, I have, I've stood at Jericho a few years ago. Uh, I went to Israel on a trip, and we, we went to Jericho. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, there are no walls in Jericho <laughs> to this day. When God tears down a wall, no man can rebuild that wall. That's not even in this message. Okay. They've taken Jericho, and they spend a decade or so going throughout the land and just kind of taking what God said is theirs until we get to the book of Joshua. And in Joshua 18, it talks about how they place uh, the, the tablets in the Ark of the Covenant, and they are going to build a house of worship. They're going to build a tabernacle, right? Temple is way in the future. Temple doesn't exist. Jerusalem does not exist. The country of Israel does not exist, but the people do. And so they're going to take that Ark of the Covenant, and they're going to build a central place of worship, and they do this at a place called Shiloh, which they pronounce Shiloh. We're going to say Shiloh because that's what's going to come out of my mouth. So for, are you ready for this? The tribes, the 12 tribes come and worship and make sacrifices and have feasts at Shiloh for nearly 400 years. The Constitution of the United States was signed 244 years ago. So this is a really long time for the people to come and for them to gather and make sacrifices and worship God. And um, it's a tradition for the people. And, and around 
the end of this period, there's two million Jews coming and going from this sacred place. In fact, um, the last time on our last trip to Israel, we got to go to Shiloh. And what's so cool about the area of Shiloh is that it looks pretty much like it did 3,000 years ago. There's not a city there. No one's built on top of it. Um, and I have something special in my hand. Um, I have, uh, we had a tour guide in Israel, and he was very, how would I say this, practical in his tour guiding. He was not a, um, he was not as, he, he didn't sensationalize anything. He would always say, maybe this is where Gideon did this. Jesus may have been born here, we don't know. It's possible King David fought Goliath right there. We're not sure. But when we were standing on Shiloh, he said, oh, this is the place the tabernacle stood. And all the pottery, the broken pieces of pottery you see on the ground, they're from the tribes and they're 400 years and they're all about 3,300 years old. So I feel pretty confident that in this bag <laughs> is an ancient piece of history. And it's a shard of pottery from Shiloh where the tribes came to worship. And so I have this in this bag, and I am going to give it to someone today. So you can take home an ancient piece of, of your history and a reminder that God is no longer bound by a place on this earth, that he dwells inside of you. But anyway... I mean, you don't have to answer a question or anything, but if you would like this, just be the first person to see me after service. Just the first person to see me after service. If you are a passionate heart, you'll get to me and this will be yours. Okay. Amen. 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 Okay. In the context of this time is where we find the hero of today's story, Hannah. We're going to read... 1 Samuel chapter 1. Get ready for a lot of mispronounced names. There was a certain man, a Ramathame, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. Big breath. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, everybody say boo, that's a different story. <laughs> well, that's not the sermon. Were priests of the Lord. On the day that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Panina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Whew! It does not sound like a fun household situation. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. 
Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued to pray before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was intoxicated and said to her, How long will you keep drinking? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have not been drinking. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, all right, sorry, go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate, and drank with her husband, and her countenance was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his household went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow, but Hannah did not go up. (gasps) Is she forgetting her vow? For she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and remain there forever. I will offer him as a Nazarite for all time. And her husband, Elkanah, said, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained, nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an epa of flour, and a skin of wine. She brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, they brought the child to Eli, and she said, Oh my Lord, as you live, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I have prayed, and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given to the Lord, and she left him there for the Lord. What an amazing story, right? So full of beautiful details and lessons and revelation. And I thought we would dive into the chapter that we just read. Um, I was inspired by a series from, there's a technology and science magazine called Wired. It's a real magazine, it's an online magazine, and they have a series called Five Levels. Has anyone ever seen Wired's Five Levels? It's really cool. What it is, it's a short, you can look it up online. An expert in a field, be it lasers or um, astrophysicists or, or something like beyond what normal people wouldn't understand every day. They explain a concept in their field in five levels to a child, 
to a teenager, to a college student, to a professional, and finally they uh, talk about it to another expert in their field. And so you get to sit there and watch the conversation of how the concept is explained. And one of my favorite ones is a musician who explains the concept of harmony to a child, a teen, a college student, an adult, and finally he gets all the way up to jazz legend Herbie Hancock. And what's fascinating is, is he's kind of simplistic terms with the child and then a little more uh, complicated with the teen, and then he's using super technological terms and mu musical terms and like music theory terms with the professional, but once he gets to Herbie Hancock, it's, it's like they start speaking another language called music that I don't even know. They start doing things on a keyboard and understanding each other in such a way, it's amazing, I recommend you watch it. But we're gonna dive into Hannah today in five levels. We're gonna discuss what kind of is the familiar and maybe the easy to see and then go a little deeper. And so are you guys ready to dive in five levels into Hannah? All right. Level number one. This is kind of like, I'm going to ask the kids. Kids, at the beginning of this story, how is Hannah feeling? What is Hannah like? Is she happy or is she sad? She is sad. That's right. And grown-ups, how do we know she's really sad? She's not eating. That's how we know. She must be really sad. A lot of us, when we're sad, we eat a lot. She's so sad, she's not even eating. That's how sad she is. Hannah is heartbroken. Why is she heartbroken? She can't have a child. That's right. She cannot have a baby, and that breaks her heart. And is she, is she a, a bad woman who makes mistakes, or is she a good woman? She's, she's a good person. She's a good person, and and she's heartbroken because she cannot have a baby and she wants some, a baby so bad. And so what does she do? Hannah decides just to sit there and, and cry just and not eat for the rest of her life or does she go somewhere and do something about it? What does she do? She goes to the, the, the Lord. She goes to the tabernacle. And it kind of sounds like to me from the story because her and Eli, the high priest, have this conversation it's like at a time everyone else has made their sacrifices and is feasting, but Hannah comes back. And Hannah comes back and she's going to pray to the Lord. And what I know is the grief of Hannah's heart is that, yes, she can't have a baby, but why? Because she's barren. And that is something that every single man and woman knows the feeling of being barren and not being able to do or produce or see the thing that you want to come to pass come to pass. It's just not happening. Anybody ever just have the thing just not happen? Maybe you even did all the right things and you did all the right things in order, but it hasn't happened yet. It's a place of barrenness. Or maybe you're like, yeah, I get that. Sometimes I feel like I'm walking in a wilderness. The wilderness is barren. It's dry. There's no rain. It just feels hot and empty. And isn't it ironic how an emptiness can feel so heavy on your body and on your soul and on your mind? See, the emptiness of Hannah is something everybody can understand. 
It's a weight that every single person can understand. So what do you do when you are barren and you cannot produce the thing that you feel like you were made to do? We do what Hannah does, and we go to the Lord. And does she go, Lord, it's no big deal. It's all right. I know you're a good God, and I think you're going to make this happen and put a smile on her face. What does she do? It says about seven different times and in seven different ways. She goes to the temple, deeply distressed, weeping bitterly. And here's what I want us to remember. The Lord can handle your grief. The Lord can handle your sorrow, your sadness. Kids, if you're sad, do you know you can take your sadness to Jesus and he can handle it? Let's read Isaiah 40, verse 28 and 29. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Our weariness never wears God out. God can handle what you bring him. But here's the thing that I want us to always remember. Hannah didn't let her grief keep her from the presence of the Lord. Hannah allowed her grief to draw her deeper into the presence of the Lord. And that's really important. It's really important to come before the Lord and lay it down. And she laid it down before the Lord. All the hurt, all the pain. Our weariness never wears God out. He can handle your cry. He's a good father. He never tires. He never sleeps. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's go a little deeper maybe. Oh, that was pretty good. That'll help somebody. Let's go maybe into a teen level. Let's talk about what does Hannah ask God. Anybody? You can talk to me. I ain't scared. Wait in the back. What does Hannah ask God? Hannah asks God for a son, but the first thing that she says to God, if we go back to verse 11, she says, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me. The first thing that she kind of says God to God is, hey Lord, remember me? Do you see me? Would you see my misery? I'm going to bring you my misery. Now I want you to look at it. It's terrible. (laughs) Look at it with me so I'm not alone in my misery and God see me. And you know why I think Hannah wants to be seen? Because no one else sees her. No one else sees Hannah. Her best friend, Panina, just kidding. That's not her best friend. (laughs) So in the story, it lists Hannah and then Panina, which means Hannah was the first wife of Elkanah. She couldn't bear children, so after a time, the practice, it was an option to take on another wife to have children because children are very important. What are children? Children are labor for the family work. Children are 
security, their legacy. Children are very important. And then Panina is a little less than gracious about it and just torments and vexes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine insult to injury? Is the constant reminder, oh, hi, Hannah, come on, beautiful children, all my beautiful children, let's go to the market. Bye, Hannah, alone, bye, Hannah. I mean, can you imagine what Panina does to her? But I want us to not be too harsh on Panina because it says Elkanah at Shiloh gives Hannah what? So who does Elkanah love? Do you think that made Panina? Her heart sore? No, of course not. Here's how we know polygamy is wrong. <laughs> well, polygamy is in the Bible. Just because something is in the Bible doesn't mean that it's right. Because every instance of a, uh, of a relationship that's more than one man and one woman in Scripture is fraught, fraught, I say, with peril and problems. And so, of course, the Lord is showing us, yeah, don't do that bad idea. Don't do that. And God accommodates that at the time, but he never told us or recommended it ever. In fact, do you remember how many people he put in a garden? <laughs> Always go back before the fall if you want to know how things are really supposed to be. So Hannah is grieved. The home life is us. So Panina is, is just berating her. And then her husband, I think, trying to be helpful Oh, honey, why, why are you so glum? I love you. Aren't I better than kids? Do either of them understand her heart? Do they see her? Do they know her? No, they don't see or know her. And so she goes to the Lord and says, Oh, Lord, see my grief. See me. You know what she's saying? She's saying, know my heart. And this is one of the first prayers of petitions. You know how there's different kinds of prayers we can pray? Prayers of worship and prayers of thanksgiving and, and prayers of supplication and petition. This is one of the first times we see someone really going to God and saying, I need, I need something. I need you to give me something. It's very special that, that she's asking God, that, that she's bold enough to ask this of God. There is... Um, a word. Um, it's a Hebrew word. It's called kavana. And I came across the word this week in association with the story of Hannah. Because for the Jewish people, her story is paramount in understanding how to go to God and pray for something. They really look to Hannah's story and they model their main prayer, the Amidah, after uh, the structure of those prayers in the Old Testament, specifically Hannah's prayer. Kavana is such a, it's such a beautiful word. It's a word that means the sincerest intentionality when you go before the Lord. Like, you are so mindful in your, in your posture, in your heart as you pray. It is heavy with Kavana. And, and that's what Hannah did. She brought her tears her anguish, and she directed them to God. She didn't complain about anybody. She didn't say, God, Panina's treating me this way. God, my husband doesn't understand. God, she, she just wept and said, Lord, see me. What covenant. I, I, 
I just came across this beautiful word and I thought, oh man, boy, we need more of that, don't we? That sincere intention before the Lord. And I'm telling you, the Tuesday I discovered this word and it touched me deeply. I went home to make dinner and I was starving. And I grabbed my Frito pie that I had made and I said, oh, thank you Lord for this food. And I took a bite. And I thought of the word, kavana. Thought that prayer had no kavana at all. I lacked all kavana because it was just a checklist so I could get the bite in my mouth. Anybody else ever do that with their prayer? No, just me and Jacqueline. Thanks, Jacqueline. So here's what I did. I finished my bite, embarrassingly, before the Lord. I put my bowl down, and I really told the Lord, thank you. Thank you I was able to go into my kitchen and get this food out of my refrigerator. Thank you that I was able to make it for my family. Thank you that we're able to be together. And I really, I didn't take a long time, but I'll tell you it was a heart change. I was sincerely grateful to the Lord, and that second bite tasted better. It did. It tasted so much better. Kavana, your most mindful and sincere and placated self focused on your God in unity with God. I believe that's what Hannah brought to her prayer. Let's read John 5. 1 John 5 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. When Hannah goes before the Lord, she knows, she knows the commands. She knows the covenant. And she asks of God something that she is pretty sure is in the will of God. It's what she was meant to do as a wife. She was meant to have a child, and she knows this. And she goes to God saying, I want your will for me. I want to have a child. And I believe that when we make God's will our highest desire, he makes our desire his highest priority. Meaning, if she would have gone and said, boy, I'm being grieved. God, I really need you to get rid of Panina. If you could, you know, have an ox or something accidentally. Would that have been in the will of God? The destruction of another human being? No, no. God loves to do his will. The Lord wants to do his will in you, but guess what? You got to ask him to do his will in you. And asking him to do his will in you is different than asking him to do your will in you. Those are two different things. Now, why can't I win the lottery? I've been praying and praying and praying. That's an extreme example, but I think we still do this on a lot of different ways. Because when we go back to that scripture in 1 John 5, if we can, if we ask anything according to what? His will. His will. And here's what I'm going to say. The more 
surrendered you are to the Lord, the more the things you ask him will be his will. I think when we are in relationship with the Lord, I think when we are humbly seeking after him with all our heart, those dreams and ideas and requests that you have come from him. And God is more than willing to do his will in you. He is more than willing to do his will in you. Are you ready for college level? Okay, here we go. What does Hannah promise God? Hannah prays and she makes a promise to God. Who can tell me what she promises God? Waylon, again? Waylon, are you in college? What does she promise God, Waylon? She, she promises God that she's going to bring her son back to him. She promises God, she sort of makes two vows, and you can find the precedent for these vows in the book of Numbers 6 and Numbers 30 if you want to study more about vows. She promises, Lord, if you give me a child, he will be a Nazarite. This, is, this, is a, this was a voluntary consecration anyone could do. Anybody could take a Nazarite vow. It means you wouldn't drink anything, you wouldn't cut your hair, you would be set apart for a certain period of time so that you would be devoted to the Lord in a special way. Who were other Nazarites in Scripture? Samson, John the Baptist, Samuel. And what's interesting about it is normally this is a voluntary vow you'd make for yourself, but in those cases, the parents made those vows for their children. And so Samuel is going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be specially consecrated to the Lord. But she also makes a ministry vow, and he will serve you always. He will be yours his whole life. And what I think is so fascinating about this is that she is asking God to give her something that she will then give back to God. Does she say, Lord, give me a son so I can love him and squeeze him and he can take care of me when I'm old? She says, Lord, give me a son that I can give back to you. Now let me ask you a a little um, interesting side note. Is Hannah bargaining with God? Is she bargaining? God, if you give me a son, I'll make him a Nazarite and I'll bring him back and he'll serve you. No, here's why she, we know she's not doing that. We know she's not for the very reason of she's not keeping this child for herself. The Nazarite vow, the promise of ministry, all of that is her saying, Lord, what you give me belongs to you, and I am aware of that, and this child of promise will be yours. She's not bargaining with the Lord. She is asking him to fill the empty place, and then she's going to sacrifice it back to him as her sacrifice of praise, which we'll later read about in chapter 2. Let's look at Luke 21. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, 
This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Hannah is promising God something she doesn't even have. She is saying, God, I'm going to give you my two mites, but I don't even have two mites. I don't even have it. And there is such a lesson in our ability to give because God is always our supplier. Do you know you can always give because God will always supply? We don't have to look to the physical resources all the time because God, of course, he is the supplier of all those resources. But the Lord makes a way, especially when we're being the body of Christ, to meet the needs of those around us in supernatural ways. Supernatural ways. When we can remember, oh, you know, I would like to help this person, but I I just don't have the time in my schedule. Or I'd like to give to this particular ministry, but I can't afford it this week. If you think like that, we will never do and give what God has called us to do and give. We will never be who God created us to be. But when we can be like Hannah with no baby and say, Lord, I'm giving you the baby you're going to give to me. Can you imagine what God, well, you can see later on what God does with this. It's awesome. What can we start giving to the Lord, giving to others, giving to the world out there, even if we don't know, I don't even know if I have the grace for this, the patience for this, the wisdom for this, but we're going to start operating in obedience to God, and God is going to make, he's going to turn two mites into something else. He's going to turn that barren place into something else, but he's looking for a heart willing to give. He's faithful to supply. Professional level, Okay. What happens after Hannah prays? Okay, I love this, actually. You ready? What happens after Hannah prays? Does she get her baby? She gets her baby? She does, but something else happens first. You want to know the first thing that happens after Hannah weeps and brings her prayer before the Lord? Do you want to know the first thing? Before that. Before that. As she prayed, Eli observed her. Hannah prayed sadly on her lips. Her voice was not heard. And after she prays, the high priest says, what's wrong with you? Get out of here. Stop your shenanigans and your drinking. The first thing she's met with is misjudgment and ridicule after she prays. How many of you have taken something before the Lord and then you were hit with something else? right? Something that just wants to crush your faith a little bit. Like, okay, you left the altar. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you get a phone call. Oh, and you lost your job. (laughs) I don't know what it is. But the enemy always wants to do one more thing to knock you down. He just does. So Hannah is at the temple and she is on her knees and she is giving it to God and she is mistreated and misjudged by another person who doesn't know her or see her. And does she respond by saying, no, I haven't been drinking, but maybe you should pay attention to your two sons. Is that her response? No, because Hannah is always humble, and Hannah's posture is always truth. And so Hannah responds to him and says, no, 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 that's not the case. I'm making my petition to the Lord, and he says, oh, may it be unto you. And then Hannah Her countenance changes. She goes and she eats. 
It says she went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband. Her countenance was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. What do you do while you wait for a faithful God to move on your behalf? You walk faithfully and you do the next right thing. You leave your tears there. You leave your worries there. You put on the garment of praise. You go eat. You go to work. You love your family. You obey God and you do the next right thing. Luke eleven twenty eight. Jesus replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. I think this is such an important lesson to remember for all of us is that we don't have to obey God to earn his favor. Obeying God is how you walk in his favor. We don't do the right thing to earn it. Doing the right thing is the beautiful thing. Obedience is his favor. Obedience is his grace. Obedience is his blessing. Lord, I'm going to do today, I'm going to do all the right things, and I know you're going to give me that thing I want. No, no, no. Surrendering to the Lord today is the right thing for you. Surrendering to the Lord is the best thing for you. And then, of course, those seeds of obedience reap a harvest that is the byproduct of so many beautiful blessings because the Lord is faithful. But remember, you don't have to bargain with God. You don't have to say, God, I'm going to do this thing, and I know that you'll do this thing for me. That's not the way love works. That's not the way relationship works. We love the Lord because he first loved us. We love the Lord. We want to obey him. If you love me, do my commands, Jesus said. If you love me, do what I said. And when you do what I say, oh, there is blessing and obedience. And that's the point of what the Lord, I think, wants to tell his children. But what he's telling, what he's trying to teach the Hebrew children for centuries and centuries. And then what he's still teaching us today there's blessing and obedience. There's favor and obedience. It's not because you earned it. It's because that's the way it works in the kingdom. So what happens? God does answer Hannah's prayer. She has a baby. What's the baby's name? Yeah. Samuel. <laughs> she has her beautiful child. The Lord answers. And then she has her son, she nurtures and teaches him. She treasures him for a few precious years. And then about the age of three or four years old, she brings Samuel to the temple, and she keeps her promise. She brings Samuel to Shiloh. She presents him to Eli. She says, remember me? This is the child. And then she sees her baby maybe once a year, every year after that. Makes him a robe, brings it to him every year. She keeps her vow to the Lord. And do you know God gives her a double portion? Hannah's later blessed with five more children. Isn't that beautiful? Are you ready for the expert level? Here's the expert level. What is the Holy Spirit of God revealing to you? The Holy Spirit is the expert. The Holy Spirit is the one who can reveal and show you and bring something to your remembrance and tell you something about stories. So we're going to surrender to the Holy Spirit and let him show and reveal the next thing. And while we're doing that, I want you to remember you are not ordinary, that there are extraordinary seeds in you. Hannah was not ordinary. Her name meant grace. And the extraordinary faith of Hannah 
It was a seed of the greatest grace that the world has ever known. And we can see a little glimpse of that in 1 Samuel 2. I'm going to read just a few verses of Hannah's prayer of praise. She says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. That sounds like a psalm of David, doesn't it? David hasn't been born yet. Moving on to verse 8. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. Listen to this. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. It's such a beautiful passage. And it foreshadows. She mentions a king there. There's no king yet. Israel doesn't have a king. They're at, they're at Shiloh, right? There's, there's, there's been judges, and Samuel, her son, begins the time of the prophets. And it's Samuel who anoints the very first king of the nation, King Saul, and then the next king, King David. But of course, I think it's even more than that when Hannah mentions a king here. I think in Hannah was a cry It was a cry for a king that was deep in her bones. It was deep in that barren place. It stirred in her wilderness that need for a true king. And the kings that Samuel would anoint, they would fail. They would disappoint. They are what the people asked for, but they are not what the people needed. Who did did the people need? They needed the true king. They needed the true high priest. They needed the Messiah. And who is our Messiah? Jesus Christ, the the foreshadowing of the promise of our King of Kings is in the story. God's weaving it in the story, and it started as the broken cries, the hurt of a mother for a son. And as Hannah gave her one and only son back to the Lord, the Lord demonstrates that he gives his one and only son back to us.